Take our Bibles and go to the, the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1. And uh, we're beginning, officially beginning, this series in the book of Mark. And uh, last week, obviously, we had just an overview to kind of see uh, what the book was about and who wrote it and, and what the reason for it all was. Uh, and this morning, we'll begin digging in by looking uh, at verse 1. So let's go ahead and just jump right in and read our text this morning. Look at Mark chapter 1 and look at verse 1. The Bible says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this time that we can assemble together and hear from your word. I pray that you'll be with those that are unable to be here for sickness and for traveling and any other reasons, Lord. I pray that you'll bring those that are sick back to full health. I pray you'll be with uh, the children as they are working on their play out back. And I pray that you'll be honored and glorified in that. But Lord, I pray that you'll just work in our hearts this morning. As we look at your word, Lord, we know that your word is uh, quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that uh, this morning, uh, the people that are listening, that they will uh, allow you to do your will and your work and allow you to have, their, have your way. And I pray that you'll help me to say exactly what you want me to say, and nothing more, nothing less. And I pray that you'll just use me uh, to uh, properly uh, tell people what you you have to say in your word and that you just give me the right words to say Lord help me in spite of me and I pray that you'll I just do a mighty work this morning in our hearts and help us to be changed by your word in your holy name amen when I read uh, John Mark's account and I, I think of John the Baptist and I just consider what he has to say there's several things that come to mind I think of as he calls him forerunner preparer a messenger, and I also think of the fact that John the Baptist was an ambassador for Christ. And those are just a few of the things that I think about when I was studying and when I read this. And, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said about John the Baptist. And, and this morning, I really hope to just paint a picture of this great man of God uh, for you. But he was, as the text says, he was sent forth to be the Messiah's messenger. He was sent forth to be the messenger of Jesus Christ. Now, from the very time that John the Baptist was in his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what Luke chapter 1 tells us. And over the course of John the Baptist's life, his spiritual immensity and his powerful ministry would be very widely known. 
He would be feared by King Herod. He would be feared by the religious leaders of his time. And he would be what we call today a spiritual giant or a hero of the faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus called him in Matthew chapter 11. He said, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. That's very high praise coming from the Lord God himself. So this man, John the Baptist, he is absolutely worth looking at. He is worth emulating, and his example is worth following as he followed Christ. But, as I always say, whenever we look at any man in the Bible, we always must remember that Christ is greater. We're going to see today that one of John the Baptist's most outstanding qualities was the mindset that he had concerning who he was and who Christ was. And uh, we too must keep this truth in mind. And again, as we look at John the Baptist this morning, I just I want you to remember Christ is greater. You see, John, he was mighty, and Christ said that, but Christ was almighty. John was a man, but Christ was the God man. John was a voice, but Christ, according to John chapter 1, verse 1, he's the word. John called men to repent, but Christ brought men to a spiritual rebirth. John was a messenger, but Christ was the Messiah. And John brought men to the river Jordan, but Christ brought men to the river of life. So Christ is greater. And the title of the message this morning is The Messiah's Messenger. And while this very accurately describes John the Baptist. It should also describe each born-again Christian because we are all called to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, like John, I desire to be a good ambassador for Christ. I desire to be an effective messenger to the Messiah as I walk this earth. So consider this morning, is that your desire? As you're out in the workplace... As you're out in the community, as you're dealing with friends and family, is your desire to be a good ambassador for Christ? Our world needs good ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need good representatives of Him. The world, they do not need our opinion about social issues or even politics. They don't need us to push an agenda on them. They need us to be effective messengers for Christ. And my prayer is that this message this morning will help this body of believers to uh, just be encouraged to point people to Christ with their words and with their actions, just as John did. Now in our text this morning, we see two consistent actions of John that really facilitated his effectiveness as the Messiah's messenger. So as we go through these, I just want you to, to consider if you take these actions or if this really resonates with you so that you too can effectively represent Christ every single day. First, from our text, we see that John proclaimed the Holy One. Let's look again at verse 1 of Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John, he proclaimed the Holy One. 
Now look, if you're going to be an effective messenger for Christ, then you need to proclaim Christ because that is the message of Christ. And this book, uh, in verse 1, it introduces, uh, it's introduced by John Mark by saying and calling it the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or, uh, more simply put, you could say the start of good news of Jesus Christ. So here we are, 400 years of silence. Uh, the, the, the people of Israel had, they did not hear from God for 400 years, and now good news was coming. And truly, any news after 400 years of silence from God would probably be seen as good news unless it was judgment. But this good news consisted of the fact that Christ had come to earth to abolish the power of sin in the lives of people by dying and offering himself. And the good news was set to be proclaimed by a forerunner of God. Uh, This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Look again at verse 2 and 3. It says, as it is written in the prophets, it was foretold, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, the prophet that John Mark is referring to is Isaiah, the prophet. But this quote, these two verses and the quotes within them, come from two Old Testament passages, and I want to look at both of them. First, Malachi chapter 3. Go to Malachi chapter 3. And this book, of course, uh, is, a pro- is a prophetic book, and it prophesies, uh, prophesies about John the Baptist. It tells us that John the Baptist would be uh, coming to, to prepare the way of the Lord It doesn't specifically name him, but this is who it's talking about. Look at Malachi chapter 3 and look at verse 1. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So this right there. That right there tells us what verse 2 of Mark chapter 1 is telling us. But let's also go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Now all four Gospels, when they introduce John the Baptist, they actually uh, quote what we're going to read right now. They quote Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And let's go ahead and look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now truly, God did send forth his messenger, And that was John the Baptist. Now this word messenger from our text, uh, it means proclaimer. So he would proclaim Christ. And why did he do that? To prepare the people for Christ's coming. Now the phrasing of, uh, really, that's used by the prophets and the phrasing that's used by Mark as a result carries much significance. Look again at Mark chapter 1. I just want you to notice, I'm reading these verses over and over again because I really want you to get this in your head and see what it says in verse 2. Again, it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare 
thy way before thee. And then look at verse 3 again. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Why did God send John before the Israelites prior to Christ going public with his earthly ministry? He did it to prepare the way of the Lord. And that word prepare, it means to make ready. So John, he was sent forth to the Israelites to make them ready for the coming of the Messiah. Now this is very, very interesting. In these ancient times, the Romans, they would send out messengers that were messengers of the kings to cities. They would send them out prior to their arrival. So let's just say, uh, if you were in Rome, if a, uh, if a king was coming to your town, there would be a messenger that would come to your town and they would say, hey, the king is coming. The king is on his way. But not only that, they would also travel ahead to ensure that the roads were safe. To ensure that the roads were fit to travel uh, at the same time as they are announcing the coming of the king. So at this time, uh, a lot of times this would actually involve the building up of roads uh, for the arrival of this majestic king. Uh, they would fill in holes to clear the path, to make it a nice and smooth. They would at times even have to build bridges, and sometimes they would have to remove hills to prepare and make ready the path because the king was coming. They were preparing the way for the king, and this is exactly what John the Baptist was to do, to make the path for the coming Messiah and to announce his coming. But while the Roman envoys prepared these physical roads for the king's arrival, John the Baptist was preparing hearts for Christ's arrival. Ray Stedman said that John was God's bulldozer to prepare and build the highway for Christ to come. And truly, Real preparation for King Jesus, it takes place in the heart. The preparation and the process of building a road is much like the work that God had to do in the hearts of the Israelites, and it's much like what God must do in the hearts of sinners today. For God to be the Lord of our life and for us to trust fully in Him for salvation, He has to break up that fallow ground that's in our hearts. Uh, at times, just like building a road, it comes at a cost. It is difficult. Uh, there are obstacles that must be moved. And there's a great work that must take place in order for a greater work to be done. And Christ, he was going to do a great work. But the people had to have their hearts prepared. And that is what John the Baptist was doing. Now you can say, okay, well how did John prepare the way? How did he remove these obstacles? How did he uh, prepare the way of the Lord? Well, he did it by preaching Christ and baptizing all of those that repented. And John's message of preparation, in essence, was this. Hey, the Messiah is coming. You need to repent. It's a very popular message today, isn't it? <laughs> no. Look at verse 4 of Mark chapter 1. It says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. 
So this passage tells us that John, what he did was he, he baptized in the wilderness. And this was simply a desolate area between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. And he, as he proclaimed Christ, we're told that he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, you probably already know this, but I'm going to reiterate it. Nobody in John's ministry got baptized to be saved, but they got baptized because they were saved. Those that repented signified their repentance by being baptized. Baptism is simply an act of somebody who has repented and trusted in Christ for forgiveness. So we're going to talk about this next week. If you were to read ahead, you'd know that. Uh, but uh, if you look, if you've not been baptized and you're a believer in Christ, you need to get baptized. Not to be saved, but because you're saved. It is the first step of obedience after you've trusted in Christ. But John, he prepared the way of Christ by baptizing those that had repented. Look at verse 8 of Mark chapter 1. John said, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he, speaking of Christ, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So John, uh, he immersed these people's bodies into water, those that repented, but Christ would immerse them with the Holy Spirit. Now, the location of John's baptism is very meaningful. It doesn't just leave it at, in the wilderness. Look again at verse 5. It says, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. I think this is really awesome. And I think this really matters because uh, this river is the very river that the Israelites crossed over years prior to take the promised land. And there's just a great picture in this. Let's go to Joshua chapter 3 to see this. Now you should be very familiar with Joshua if you attended uh, over the last year on Sunday nights as we look through uh, this book, uh, this exciting book, uh, Joshua chapter 3. Look at Joshua chapter 3 and, and we'll start with verse 14. And, and we know that uh, for 40 years the Israelites, they wandered around with Moses and then once Moses died, Joshua uh, thanks to the Lord God Almighty, uh, he used Joshua to help bring them into the promised land. And this is uh, how this all went about. And look at verse 14. It says, And it came to pass, when the people were moved from their tents, to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks, uh, all his banks, all the times of the harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zertan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. So, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites crossed the Jordan River to take the promised land. And here we are in Mark chapter 1 with John, this messenger of the Messiah. What is he doing? He is inaugurating the way for spiritual renewal in the very same place. The Israelites in Joshua chapter 3, they got renewed uh, and they had new hope as they crossed over this Jordan and now here we are in Mark chapter 1, and many are spiritually renewed and then thus baptized in the Jordan River. Now, John, he prepared the way for God's presence and restoration as he proclaimed the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, church, 
you must consider, are you preparing others for the coming of the Lord? John prepared these people for his first coming. But as Christians today, we need to prepare people for his second coming. Several times in Revelation, Christ says, Behold, I come quickly. He's coming soon. But do you proclaim the good news of Christ to others? Or do you keep it to yourself? If you know anything about the gospel, you know that this news is too good to keep to yourself. And the world must be told of the gospel. And God wants to use you to prepare the hearts just as he did John. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said that the best help that you can give men socially is to help them religiously. And the best religious help that you can give them is to preach the gospel to them. You know, a lot of people have, their, have different ideas and philosophies. Well, how can we help people? Give them the gospel. That will help people. And you have been commissioned to proclaim the gospel. Thomas Watson, he truthfully said this. He said, a godly man is not content to go to heaven alone, but wants to take others there. He said that spiders only work for themselves, but bees work for others. Are you working for others? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Are you proclaiming the truth of the Holy One to other people? Are you taking part in preparing the way for Christ's second coming? By proclaiming the truth of the Holy One and calling sinners to repentance. Again, it's not a popular message, but guess what? We're not called to be popular. We're called to be biblical. And we're called to be Christ-like and to be like God. But John, he continually proclaimed the Holy One, and this would enable him to be an effective messenger. He loved Christ, and he proved it by the words that came out of his mouth. You know, if you were to walk up to John the Baptist, he would not long endure a conversation about the weather. As beautiful as it is outside, he would not long endure it. He wouldn't long endure a conversation about sports. It doesn't matter how much you love the Patriots. He wouldn't long endure it. He would not long endure a conversation even about politics. This is what he would want to know. He would want to know, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do? And I hope and pray that that is our concern with every lost soul that we encounter on a daily basis. But that leads me to ask you this question. As I ask every service, are you prepared for the Lord's return? Have you trusted in this Holy One, which is Jesus Christ, and have you been born again? And if not, I ask you, what will you do with Christ? You know, there are many among us, and, and many that come to this church week in and week out, and they're in a spiritual wilderness that is so much worse than the physical wilderness that the Israelites endured before they reached the Promised Land in Joshua chapter 3. And the spiritual wilderness that many are stuck in is one that has eternal effects because they will forever be separated from a holy God. And if that's you this morning, you must be born again. You must repent and believe the gospel. As God, he had spoken, finally spoken to his people. After 400 years of no news, uh, he used God's messenger, John, to do this. And the long-awaited Savior was coming. And John's message was, you need to repent and believe on Christ. This was his message as he proclaimed the Holy One, and this is my message to you today. It's my message to you every single Sunday, and it should be our message to the world if we hope to be an effective messenger of the Messiah. 
Now I want to look secondly at what else caused John to be such an effective messenger to the Messiah that we need today. Next, we see his posture of humility. Let's go back to Mark chapter 1. We see the humility of John. Look at Mark chapter 1. And this is so crucial. It's very important. Look at Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 6. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 verse 6, And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. You know, humility is a necessity for anybody that desires to be used by God and be effective in his work. Now, there are many aspects of John that show the genuine humility that he possessed, but for starters, his attire. You just read in verse 6 what he wore. Uh, He wore uh, camel's hair. He wore a leather belt, and this would really be traditional clothes for a dweller of the wilderness. It would be by no means be fashionable. You would not see him on the cover of Vogue magazine. You would not see him uh, be a, a, a fashion icon. He was not like that. But also, these clothes that he wore would not be comfortable either. And because of this, we know that he did not just dress this way out of laziness because he felt like it. He dressed this way because he was just living simply. He was not concerned with costly array or fancy apparel. He did not wish to be accepted by social circles. He had a very specific purpose to fulfill. And his purpose was not earthly. So truly his clothing, it really portrayed his humility. But what's interesting about his clothing is it didn't only portray his humility, but it also mirrored another great prophet from the Old Testament, and that is Elijah. Let's look at that in First Kings, or rather Second Kings. Go to Second Kings. 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1, look at verse 7. Second Kings chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible says, And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words. Elijah was giving a message here. And look at verse 8. It says, And they answered him, He was an hairy man, and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. So we see these two great men, these two uh, great prophets, John the Baptist and Elijah. They're connected by their humility. They're connected by their clothing. But they're also connected by their personality and their ministry. They called men to repentance. They lived simply and they lived with a humble spirit. But John, he didn't only display great humility with his attire, but he also displayed great humility with his words. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, speaking of Christ, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. I've used the illustration before of a teeter-totter. When you are on the playground and you see a a child on a teeter-totter, when one goes up, automatically another goes down. And if you hope to lift Christ up, then you must be brought low. You must be brought down. You must be humble, just as John 
spoke of. But even greater are his words that he often preached as found in our text. Let's go back to Mark chapter 1. Look at Mark chapter 1, look at verse 7. I want you to take note of what he said because this carries much significance. And it is so, uh, it really, what he said would really speak to the people in this time. Look at verse 7, Mark chapter 1. It says of John, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. John preached and proclaimed what we find in this verse. And when you really grasp what it means, it's really remarkable. John proclaims that this Messiah, Jesus, is mightier, more noble, and more powerful than himself. In fact, so much more that John makes it clear that there's not even a comparison between the two based on that verse. He is stating in that verse that he is so inferior to Christ that he's not even worthy to stoop down and unloose the latchet of his shoe. And in this day, these words would carry much weight to the hearers because the removing and carrying of shoes was the work of a slave. So in this, John is proclaiming to the people, there's someone coming behind me, and I am not even worthy to be his slave. And oh, how true this was for John, and oh, how true it is for us even now. This Christ, he is so magnificent. He's so pure. He's so powerful. He's so above us. He's so superior and so marvelous in comparison to us that we're not even worthy to be his slave. Have you ever thought about that? Man, nobody wants to be a slave, but you're not even worthy to be that to Christ. In light of who he is and, and what we are, he should not even want to look upon us, let alone have us before him in service. And yet, he allows us and desires to have us serve him. And when you view yourself as somebody that is not even worthy to be a slave of Christ, I want you to know it is then that you can be of most use to God. It is then that service to him is no longer a burden, it's a joy. I was convicted when I read yesterday a story about two men named Johann Dober and David Nitschmann. The story describes how two German young men that were barely out of their teens were called in 1732 to minister to the African slaves on the islands of the West Indies. They were told they were not allowed to do such a thing. They said, you're not allowed to go over there and, and, and witness to these slaves. So Dober and Nitschmann decided, and listen, they decided to sell themselves to a slave owner and live their life as slaves. They then were boarded on a ship that was bound for the West Indies. And the day came, and as the, the ship pulled away from the docks, it is said that they called out to their fellow church members and their family members that were on shore, and this was their words. They said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. 
and they were never heard from again. Never seen again. They could say with Paul in Philippians chapter 1, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Those two men gave up everything to reach people that they did not even know. They literally became slaves to see people reach for Christ just to have the opportunity to give them the gospel. But listen, how much more willing should we be to give up something for those in our community that we know that are not impacted by the gospel? How much are we willing to give up to see our community reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where is our commitment to seeing lost souls saved in our day? Two young men, barely out of their teens, selling themselves to be slaves for Christ. Yeah, look at the sad state that America's in. Look at the sad state of American Christianity today. If we had half of the commitment as those young men, we could be used by God in such a great way as a messenger for the Messiah, as a servant for Him. Listen, we need to live for something that is worthy of our life. Christ is worthy of our life. Souls are worth going after. But instead, the majority of people that profess to know Christ, they go after the fleeting. They go after the wood, the hay, the stubble. And I want you to know it's all for nothing. There's so much time, there's so much energy, there's so much commitment that, that is just goes into that which will be, bur- be burned before our heavenly eyes. So we need to live for that which will last. And what you do for Christ will last. As Christ, as he proclaimed John to be the greatest man beside himself to, to walk the earth, there's no doubt that he made that statement with John's genuine humility in mind. We know that James chapter 4, verse 6 says that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Proverbs 29, verse 23 says that a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Matthew 23, verse 12 says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. If you desire to be of any use for God, then you need to see yourself for what you are, which is a sinful person that's worthy of nothing, yet given everything by the grace of God. We've been given so much. And this will cause us to live in thanks. And in turn, we will love Christ more. We will serve Him with great passion and zeal. Look, this was the driving force that caused those two young men to sell themselves as slaves. And this mindset would cost John his life one day. And we'll see that later on in chapter 6. But all that pride does is hinder the work of God. Because God resists the proud. And pride makes for a sorry messenger of the Messiah. But humility leads us to God. And it leads us away from Satan's snares. It's true what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility does. So this posture of humility that John had, it was essential in his life so that he could properly prepare the way of the Lord and be an effective messenger for him. And this is essential for any child of God that desires to fulfill their calling of being an effective messenger for Christ. We must proclaim the Holy One and have this posture of humility. 
And this involves our words, this involves our lifestyle, this involves our spirit. John the Baptist, he knew that Israel needed a messenger to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And he was a messenger that pleased God as he proclaimed the Holy One and he lived in humility. And we all know that here in Holton, Maine, and in the state of Maine, and in the country of the United States of America, we are in need of messengers to prepare the lost for the second coming of the Messiah and their meeting with him. You know, it would do us well if we stopped being so concerned with what everybody else thought and we were more concerned with what God commands. God commands you to be a witness. God commands you to share the gospel. God commands you to serve Christ. And I, and I know I've been there, and at times I still am, where you wonder, well, what about what, what people are going to say? What about what people are going to think? I mentioned this on Wednesday. I did a funeral on Tuesday, and there were three or four people in the back while I was preaching the gospel. They were laughing. They were mocking. But I just kept preaching. I tell you what, that right there, I think that did more good for me than anybody. To, for people to laugh at, at the gospel. And I pray for their soul. But it doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God says. We are commanded to give the gospel. And as terrible as it is, those that mock and those that laugh, one day they'll see it's not a laughing matter at all. The gospel is true. The gospel is real. We need to stop being concerned with what people think and, and be more concerned with what God commands. But do you proclaim the gospel of the Holy One? I urge you, do not just live your life content that you are at peace with God for eternity. That's great, but there are other souls that need Christ. Stephen Lawson said that there are only two things in this world that will last forever, and that is the word of God and the souls of men. So pour your life into what will last. And this world, no doubt it is on a ship that is slowly sinking into a fearful and fiery hell. And all the while there are believers in Christ that refuse to give them the message of the gospel, which is the lifeboat that can save them from the sinking ship. So we need to throw out the lifeline and proclaim Jesus Christ. And we need to be humble servants of him, and therefore it will cause us to live in humble obedience to the master. John, he was a great messenger of the Messiah. He proclaimed the Holy One. He lived his life in humility. And again, one, later on, we're going to see. It cost him his life. But he fulfilled the will of God for his life. I want you to consider as we, as we think about the example of John the Baptist. What must you do to better follow his example? Each one of us in here have loved ones that we should probably reach out to and give the gospel to. Each one of us have friends, co-workers, uh, people that need Christ. Are you being an effective messenger for Christ? Are we humble? No doubt I think that every one of us here could admit that we need a little bit more humility. And if you can't admit that, then I think it's very obvious that you do need a little more humility. But let's be humble servants for Christ. Let's proclaim the Holy One. This is the message that the world needs. They need the message of the gospel. And what better time of year? As we're coming up on Christmas, more people are... Uh, more likely to attend church and uh, be open to the good news of salvation. So take advantage of it. 
Let's proclaim the gospel to the lost. That's what they need to hear. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.